Welcome to Nancy Wilson's Femina Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. I wanted to let you know that the Canon Christmas sale that was going through to today, which is Friday, December 4th, has now been extended through the weekend. So all the way through Sunday, December 6th at midnight, the Canon Press Christmas sale is still going. So 20% off almost everything. It includes all of Nancy's books, including Nancy's daughters, Rachel Jankovic and Rebecca Merkel's books as well. So please go take advantage of that. Get those Christmas presents underneath the tree in plenty of time. Find all of that at canonpress.com. Welcome to the Feminine Podcast. This is Nancy Wilson. Thank you for joining me. So last week, I talked about raising kids to have fat souls. And I'm going to continue this theme a little further this week and talk about ways to establish a family culture. And last week, I talked a little bit about disciplining the kids. And of course, you know, part of the family culture is what happens when someone disobeys. (laughs) And so our family has plenty of great stories about spankings, you know, because they deserve them. They got them. And I remember distinctly one time giving someone some swats and thinking, I'm glorifying God. (laughs) And I was. I was doing what I was supposed to do. So part of family culture is when you have a culture of faithful discipline that is done cheerfully and done in a righteous way. And of course, another huge part of family culture is seeking forgiveness and extending forgiveness. That in our house, The standard is that we all are to be in fellowship with one another all the time. And when the fellowship is broken, we take the time to put it right now. So that's why I said last week, Mom, you have to discipline yourself first. And if you are too eager to discipline the kids because you're angry, then you're not qualified to discipline anybody and you need to get your own heart right first. So discipline should be part of a family culture because it's when it's done justly and kindly and not impatiently or ever with anger, and there's always restoration and forgiveness at the end, then that is part of the good the good culture in your home that sin doesn't fester and bad attitudes aren't allowed to accumulate. So we ought to be very deliberate about what we're trying to build, what we're trying to cultivate in our homes and not just let it happen haphazardly, but but to be very thoughtful about it. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the centrality of worship. And so that should be understood also as the central foundation of our life and our homes. So our homes should be the kind of place that prepares our children to be faithful worshipers. We're all going to church together. We're all going to take the Lord's Supper together and sing together. We're in fellowship with one another. And so we present ourselves to God and we praise him together. So our family life is centered around Christ. And that means it's centered around all he calls us to do. That's why I can say discipline is part of that. Worship is obviously a big part of that. And so we want to cultivate a family culture 
that is built on that foundation. So what are some of the other things you can do? I guess some of the secondary things in building a godly family culture. And every family is so different. Of course, you have different gifts and opportunities and resources and different children, different parents. So everyone has a different family culture. The one thing we don't want is a family culture where the kids look back and say, yeah, family culture where dad got angry, where we had to walk on eggshells around mom, where we never knew if we were going to be in trouble for nothing. You know, that's a tragic, terrible family culture. So that's why it's important to start out with forgiveness and Bible reading and worship and so forth. So in building a family culture, one of the important things is going to be loyalty. Your children want to understand and know rock solid that you are loyal to your husband and he's loyal to you, that we are loyal to our children. And that means we don't divide them. We don't pit them one against the other. We don't compare one child to another. We don't make fun of our children or share their faults or their failures with other people outside the family. Uh, We just don't do that. We are loyal. We treat them with respect and kindness. And so that is a really important thing where your children feel secure. They feel loved. They know who they are. They know who they belong to. And they are happy to be there. So if you are reinforcing each one of your children and bestowing your favor on love in each and every one of them, then that builds loyalty. They're not going to be running you down to their friends or running their sister down, etc. And so that's what we taught our children. You will not share things that happen. You know, if one of the kids gets in trouble, you don't tell your friends about it. You're loyal. You're respectful about them and you treat them with courtesy and kindness at home and elsewhere. And so the kind of comments that parents can make like, why can't you be more like your sister? You know, that sort of a comment alienates the mother from the child and the sister from the child. And so it's deadly. So family loyalty is a beautiful thing. And it's something we should cultivate and teach our children how to be loyal to one another and to God, obviously, first. Second, I would say, of course, cultivate your children's imaginations as well as your own. Why do I say that? Because our home should be full of joy and enthusiasm about life. And it should be a home where a lot of things are going on (laughs) all the time. And that your children are encouraged to use their imagination and you're busy feeding their imaginations. At our house, most every night when the kids were little, Doug would read to them after dinner. And he read Narnia to them. I have no idea how many times. And they would listen intently, even when they were so little. They may not have known everything that was going on. He read The Lord of the Rings through a few times. They just loved it. They looked forward to it. It was with such an eagerness. And he would read them these stories. And sometimes until he was hoarse, because they would be, please, one more chapter. (laughs) So our family culture really had 
a lot of books involved in it and poetry, funny stories, short stories, a lot of P.G. Woodhouse, just a lot of reading out loud. And even when they were older, when they had a big group of friends over, sometimes Doug would read them a P.G. Woodhouse story or others. Books stimulate your children's imaginations as well as just teaching them about life, obviously, and taking them to other worlds. And I think that it affects how they play. And when they're young enough that they're out playing, this is just great. You know, the books give them food for thought. And then out they are building forts and inventing games and playing together, which is so healthy and playing with the neighbor kids or whatever. Our children, I found out, were playing a game. We had some big trees and they'd climb up in the trees and they were so busy they could play out in the backyard for a long time. But I found out they were making up a game that had to do with missionaries and cannibals. And so when I did find out about it, I remember one time we were having company with kids and I was like, maybe let's not do the missionary cannibal one tonight. (laughs) Let's just save that for when it's just you guys. But I'm sure that came from the Jungle Doctor books because these are missionary stories from uh, Dr. Paul White. He was a missionary doctor. So he wrote a whole series of books for kids called The Jungle Doctor. And I'm sure that's why they were playing missionaries and cannibals. And they, I still don't know all the games they were playing out there, but give them lots of opportunities to play and build and get dirty. Let them be involved in what you're doing also inside. You know, it's things like the little kid who gets to help you with the bread. I mean, Rachel, my daughter, is a great bread baker. And it all started when I'd be baking bread and the other two were at school and I would give her some of the dough to make her baby loaf, we called it. And I had a little tiny pan for her. She would shape her loaf. And, you know, she just enjoyed that, kneading the dough and rolling it out and getting it all in the pan. And she was just a squirt. So when we are doing things like that, we're bestowing on our children. It's like, I get to help. I get to make some bread. I get to add the chocolate chips. You know, I get to help dad stack the wood. These are ways we bestow on our children and we give them opportunities to love being part of what we're doing, part of the work, part of the joy. The next thing is Sabbath dinner. And I wish we had celebrated Sabbath dinner when our kids were growing up in our home, but it never occurred to us. Uh, It wasn't until they were college age, that we actually started celebrating this weekly Sabbath dinner on Saturday night. But my grandchildren have experienced it since they were born because we had to keep getting high chairs, booster chairs, putting more leaves in the table. I would sprinkle candy down the middle of the table. I would get them fun dishes and cups. And, you know, it was just a celebratory time every week. And of course, some were more celebratory than others. There'd be a birthday or it's Advent or it's some other occasion or anniversary. But that weekly gathering truly has built our culture to be what it is, our family culture. But it's also comprised of all the funny stories, the things that happened around our table. It's our people. So that's what makes your Sabbath so different from mine. And make sure so sweet for you are the people that you're feeding every week and the songs you're singing 
and the silly stories you're telling and remembering. This year, 2020 of all years, I think it's time to go big with Christmas. Don't you agree? I mean, it's time to start getting the Advent calendars and the Advent gifts and singing Advent songs and Advent desserts and so forth and so on. I just think of all years. I I mean, I think that our authorities might try to ban Christmas altogether. And all the more reason for us to go big, right? When I was a kid, we lived in Germany, and Germany is famous for their beautiful Advent calendars. And I just loved it as a kid. I just loved it. My mom was a knitter. And so my dad thought she would really enjoy a knitting machine, and he bought her one in Germany. But a knitting machine is a big piece of equipment, and it's not at all like sitting with your needles and your ball of yarn on your lap. It's, it's moving a big handle across back and forth, and, you know, it's a machine. So what happened was my mom would design a something or get a pattern for something, and then dad would knit it on the knitting machine because he loved machinery and figuring out th- how things work and so forth. So they, the two of them, <laughs> knit us stockings, Christmas stockings, and I still have mine. Dad actually did the knitting. Mom sewed it all together and embroidered the name on the top. But that was part, that's part of my story. When I get out that stocking, it comes from, I mean, it's, it was a time and a place and my sweet parents. It's a great memory. It's part of my family culture. So we bring these into our families, just these good stories, good memories. And Christmas is a time to really be establishing some fun traditions. And just when you think you've got it down, you might think of something new and better. So go for it and do it. Don't get stuck and feel like you have to do it always the same way. Try something new. Get your children involved and surprise them and bless them. This year, too, some of you may have had a pretty tough year and maybe you've lost your job. I don't know. It's not been an easy year for anybody. But I was thinking, remember in The Horse and His Boy, that one of the Chronicles of Narnia, when King Loon is instructing his son on the duties of being a king, he says this. And you may have heard Rachel quote this recently somewhere because she asked me to look it up for her. And so that's why it's fresh in my memory. For this is what it means to be a king, to be first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat. And when there is hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. I mean, this has been a strange year. And so we should be more festive than ever. We are children of the king, and we should act like it. And celebrations are such an important part of family culture, whether it's birthdays or July 4th or Thanksgiving or Christmas, the biggest one of all. And once grandchildren get involved, one of the things that is so lovely is to see my own children's family cultures and that each one is different than the others because they have different people in them. And yet we all celebrate part of each Christmas together, not every last thing. Each family has their own Christmas morning. Doug and I have adjusted ours so that we're now all gathering together on December 24th in the morning and having a a big family gathering. 
but that just started a couple of years ago. So it just should be always growing. Christmas should be growing. Our family culture should be getting richer and deeper, not thinner and shallower, you know, but better and better and thicker as we grow in grace. And so, ladies, I just say pull out all the stops. Yes, I know it's a lot of work, but it's so much fun for the kids. And so, blessings on your Advent preparations. And thanks so much for joining me today.